Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you to Luba Patlock Kaplan, who is an SLP in the Philadelphia area, who has gone from zero to 50 contractors in five years. This woman is a superstar. She is very hardworking and perseverance is something that she knows a lot about. She's going to explain how she grew her private practice and how she intends to continue to grow it even during this coronavirus pandemic. I cannot wait to introduce you to Luba. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. All right. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yes, I can. My name is Luba Patlack Kaplan. Kaplan is my married name. The name of my private practice is Kidology. That's like kids and biology. Kidology. We are in the suburbs of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. We're located in Huntington Valley. And where is the location of your private practice right now? In my clawfist. So (laughs) I've had to set up shop for teletherapy. I I hide out in my office backstory when we built, we moved into our home. The the closet here was not really suitable for my liking. However, there was space above the garage. So we did knock out the roof and we made a larger closet, which had a lot of space in it. And at one point up until probably almost two years ago, my husband and I shared the space as our office, but also it was our closet. So we called it a clawfice. So that is where I am currently sitting in my clawfice space. In your clawfice space. And because we're at the sort of beginning-ish of this coronavirus pandemic, right? You are likely not working in your clawfice as of a couple weeks ago. But now she just showed me her, her books for teletherapy and the, her, her whole setup, which has changed dramatically. But before we talk about what's happening now in your private practice, take us back to the beginning. What was life like for you as an SLP early in your career? So I, I have quite the story. I 
went to school originally for broadcast journalism and I obviously loved to perform in front of people and I was always very good with children but my parents were always like this is a hobby what you like is a hobby like are you going to do something for real and I'm like it is not a hobby I am ready to move I'm going to do this this and that and I had a lot of great opportunities when I graduated but nothing could really pay the bills it was it was a tough road I lived in Manhattan. My parents were like, we're not going to pay your rent anymore. You need to move back to PA, Pennsylvania. So I moved back and, oh, when I, I went to Hofstra for my undergraduate and I had many friends in the speech therapy program then. I was in broadcast journalism, but I took a linguistics course, which I absolutely fell deeply in love with. And at that point, I really wanted to transition to speech major, but it was just too late. And I just I wasn't sure yet. And I was like, well, I have like a, a semester or two left. Like, what am I going to switch now? That's crazy. Who does something? I was on track to graduate early. So flash forward, graduated with broadcast journalism, minor in rhetorical studies, communication and rhetorical studies, and did end up going back for my master's. And when I made that decision, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for speech therapy. I did a lot of research because I was like kind of stuck between OT and speech but I have the gift of gab. Like I, I could never have been a doctor. My parents really wanted me to do that because I love people, but I was terrified of blood and needle. It just wasn't for me. So this was my way to be that medical professional, but in my method. So that's how speech therapy came to me. And then in Pennsylvania at the time, you could not be an SLPA. We, we were not allowed to do that. So in my search to work, I, I mean, I had to have a job when I was in school. It would have been crazy not to. I found that I could work as an SI, a special instructor, by getting a certificate, which got me like kind of in the door to the early intervention industry. So I graduated, got my master's afterwards. I went to Nova Southeastern University, which was awesome. Go Sharks. I did the online program. And in that time, I got married. I had a child. I mean, a lot happened, but I survived. Blood, sweat, and tears, I survived. Speech therapy program, master's is no joke. Like, no matter what people tell you, it is hard, right? It's hard. It's hard. Here I am in PA, I have my master's, and I'm like, well, what am I? I was going for my CF, CFY, or this was, no, this was during my master's. And I, I'm like, second year, and I'm just like, I need to work. Like, I need to do something. But PA doesn't have this SLPA. So I started to research in Philadelphia County what I could do with while I'm in a master's program for speech. And then I came to this SI and early intervention and I got a certificate. And that's how I started to learn about private practice and early learning. I met a lot of people along the way. And because I'm Russian speaking, ding, ding, very important, very important piece of information. I could offer bilingual services. So I did get a certificate of competency to work as an SI, specialized instructor, which is like a one-on-one teacher at the time, because I had the credentials for going towards speech therapy masters. And it was a long road. I mean, some companies wanted to pay me like $18, even less, $14. And I was, so where I live is more centralized to center city, Philadelphia, but there's also about 45 minutes to an hour away from me farm country direction, like Collegeville, Lansdale areas. And I basically at that point was doing it for the experience. I had a job, quote unquote, but I was driving places that took me very long time. So basically I paid them to work. Like I would, I would drive out the gas, the miles. And by the time I would come back, I was wasting two, two and a half hours sometimes on one child, which is crazy, but it, it got me rolling. And then I made some better decisions and went towards Philadelphia center city. I was still driving, but the rates were better. And I was learning the whole road. I was learning. 
And as I'm getting closer to graduating my master's, I'm like, why? I always had this entrepreneur personality. Like when I was going to school for broadcast, I was doing radio and marketing and let's like, I'll help you give me a couple of bucks. Like I always had a business going. So here we are. And I'm like, why am I working for all these people? Because at the time I was working for three different companies and you have three different sets of notes and you're trying to get everyone's, you know, and it's fine. Everyone kind of does the same thing, but it was hectic. So I was like, I need to figure out how to open my own business. I want to open my own agency. They're taking X amount of money. I think at the time the rate was like $116 they were getting and I was getting like 50, which is still amazing. But I'm like, Hey, wait, wait a second. What's going on here? But because I had the strength to wait and do it. So I started researching online and my girlfriend was opening a home care and she's like, you should ask the lady I'm using a consultant. She's doing all the paperwork for me. Maybe she can help you. The lady couldn't help me. She, she said, you can pay me. I could try. I said, no, thank you. You know, I didn't have any money. I couldn't, what could I do? I was expecting a child. I, I couldn't do anything, but I continued to research. I was calling the state constantly. I think they knew me. <laughs> they were like, who are you? Why do you keep calling here? I did apply to become a Pennsylvania state provider, which is something that you would need in order to work in the state of Pennsylvania as a early intervention or private practice and be able to take medical assistance programming, which to me at the time was the only way I understood it would work. Cause I, you know, this is way before I even thought about insurance. God bless us all who take insurance. <laughs> so I did fill out the application. I got everything started. It took one year. My app was pending for about seven months. I applied. It was pending for so long. I kept calling to check in. You're number 95. Ma'am, I was number 91 last week. Oh, we're backed up and they're all backed up. And you're just like, what is happening? Like, am I ever going to get this approval? But the approval came and it was a good day when that approval came. It was a good day. But then it's like, okay, so I have this state approval. Now, Now what do I do? And there's no guidance. You're literally on your own. You're researching and I'm, I'm like an investigator. I was always like, well, who do I talk to next? Susan on the phone from Pennsylvania Department of Education. Or She's like, okay, well, let me help. You know, so I would get, I would get to these people and, and they helped me. They helped me. Random. Thank you, Susan, from the Department of Education, wherever you are. They, they guided me towards links that I would need in order to follow the steps I would need to get further. And the next step after becoming the state provider, I needed to go and get contracts from every county that I had intended to work with. And because I live in like a tri-county location where I am, I'm on the border of Philadelphia, Bucks County, and Montgomery County in that immediate area, like Northeast Philly, we call it. That's where a lot of Russian people live. So I was like, okay. And at the time I didn't even understand that that would be my target, but it became, it was tough to get the contracts. Philadelphia County was like, well, we don't need any more providers right now. And I'm like, what do you mean? How, what, well, what can I do? Well, we'll call you and we're ready. I said, no, that's not going to work for me. Like I I'm ready to go. I waited a year for a, a license and I have it. I want to, I want to go. And I'm a master's in speech and I, nobody cared, but I kept pushing and I kept knocking. And at one point I had reached out to the, the city of Philadelphia, the mayor's office. And it was mayor Nutter at the time. And I just kept emailing and calling them. And I spoke to his assistant and I said, I'm a new business owner and I, I want a fair shot. And Philadelphia County early intervention is not giving me that fair shot, but they knew me before because I worked at another company. So they knew my name and they were like, what does she do? Like, what is she up to? Nobody thought I could succeed at this. They just did it. They kept telling me like, just relax, go work and we'll call you. And I would not take that for an answer. So I started copying Mayor Nutter and all my emails. <laughs> 
And within a month, I got a contract. I got the contract. And Philadelphia was my first entity that I had coordinated a contract with. And I'm still working with them today. God bless. They love me. I love them. It's a team effort. But um, that was my in. That was my first in. And it gave me the confidence to continue. I was like, okay, I can do this. I can, I'm, I'm good with people. I can figure this out because you have to be a go-getter to do it. They shut my foot out of that door so many times. I, I was upset, but I worked hard for it. So that was in 20, that was in 2015. Cause yeah, right now it's 2020. So May, May of 2020, my business will be five years old. Nice. So this is where, thank you so much. Well, and, it sounds like you're, you got off to a start that required a lot of hustle so much, a lot of patience and a lot of phone calls and emails and all that kind of stuff. But you showed that you could persevere. Like you had this dream, you had this entrepreneurial spirit and you knew that there were people in your community that needed access to services that were yes. getting it. So good for you for persevering and making it so that this whole thing happened. So what was, once you got your contract and whatnot, what were the early days of your private practice like? My husband and I at the time lived in a condo and I, <laughs> I started to get clients and I, I, I was like, I need to get a filing cabinet. Like what I wear my keep it. I, I was literally like just stacking. I had a desk and we had a space there for a desk for me. And it was just, I had manila folders that I had purchased at Staples and I was just stacking them up. And when I had like 30 people, I'm like, all right, like I need, I need a filing cabinet. Like I need to figure this out. And they deliver this, you know, you have a condo on the third floor condo. They deliver this massive metal, like the kind you see like in a real office to Mike. And I'm like, oh God, like, what am I going to do with this? Is this even going to fit here? So, and my husband worked in an office for a long time. So he like showed me how to use it and everything. Because I hadn't had really much serious office experience. I had worked in some offices, but filing cabinet, this was the beginning. I was like, that's it. I got a filing cabinet. I have a cork board. We're in. So I, I had always at that point worked from home. I mean, in regards to administratively, because I was traveling to students at the time, I wasn't seeing anyone anywhere and I just didn't have the money to get a place. But the idea was that eventually I would open a location. And I remembered how that ran clinic, private clinic, because I did do clinicals in some private spaces or local to my area. So I kind of understood how it should look. At that point, if you would have asked me, like, because I, I started to see, at first, for the first two, two and a half years, I did everything myself, everything, payroll. When I started to hire people, I mean, because in the beginning it was me and my cousin, she was in master's for behavior, but she had a teaching certificate. So she did special instruction and I did speech. So there was just the two of us. I knew how to do all the billing. It was crazy. It was so cool. And at the time I felt so accomplished because we were like actually making some money. This is so awesome. But then there came a point where I'm like, okay, how do we make this get bigger? So I started to interview people at Starbucks. Like I would be like, I would post stuff and people would call me for various positions because my contract allowed for different roles. So my private practice, actually, I should let you know, is not just for speech. In my private clinic, mostly it's for skilled therapy. So speech, OTBT, um, majority speech. However, Kidology does serve personal care, special instructional support, one-on-one teachers, speech therapy, occupational, physical, applied behavior analysis, and behavior support. So we have a large range of developmental services for the pediatric age. Love it. That's great. 
So that's kind of where I started from. And then I started to interview these people at Starbucks and I'm like, this is so unprofessional. But I remember that one of my first interviews was at Starbucks for one of the companies I worked for the far in Collegeville. So I was like, it's fine. Like, you know, and I was so much younger than I mean, I was like, whatever, they need a job, they'll come. And they came. Some people you never heard back from, which was so strange because they would come fill out all my applications and then they would just disappear. And some people would start. And I had the first year I had 11 contractors. Wow. 11. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But yeah, I ran the business from my home office and it was, uh, it was crazy because I never would have imagined it would have been where it is today. And if, if you would have asked me then like, well, what could you, what kind of jobs could you give people? And I would, I wouldn't even know what, how to answer that because I'm also very type A and I have to do everything. And until I know what I'm doing, I can't, how can I know what someone's going to do when I don't even know what I'm doing? You know, I, I was learning, but there was a twist. I went to work as a coordinator, a service coordinator for the city so that I could learn how cases evolve. How do they come into the company? How do they get these cases? Where do they come from? I learned about the referral process. I learned about the intake and the type of initial assessment that's done companies that do it. So there was a lot to learn in my end for this early intervention business. So it was, it was a, it was an interesting time. It was a lot. I was like, I was a student. I'm still a student, but I was a student yeah, then. Well, there's a lot to learn. And especially when you're learning other people's systems, right? When you're creating your own systems, right. right? You can create things that work for you, work for your company, work for your employees, whoever. But when you're working within another system, there's a whole different learning curve for that. Okay. So you get started in your first year, you have 11 contractors, which is yes. amazing for someone's first year. So what did the the years after that look like and then kind of bring us to now? So it progressed at the two and a half year mark, right? Because I'm about to be five years here and two and a half I'm in the offices. So to at the two year mark, I'm pregnant with child number two. <laughs> We've moved into a, this house. I have a claw office and I'm just like, I can no longer. I, oh, and the smiling cabin is now in my basement. We had, I think at that point, 20 something contractors and I'm like, if I have an audit, what are they? I mean, I have a disaster. I have a filing cabinet. I have everybody, but it's not in like chronological order. It's just a mess. And I'm like, I need to get serious. If I, you know, it was, I was happy because I was growing, but I, I wanted it to be more. And I knew that it would require that type of organization from me. But I think I was just so overwhelmed at the time with the business and like, I had a child and then the second one was kind of a surprise. I'm just like, oh gosh, how is this all going to work? But every time I've ever had that feeling, even within the business lifetime of mine, I felt overwhelmed with what's going to come next, but I've always been able to cross the bridge because, and then you look back and you're like, it wasn't so bad. It was all resolved. Even today, like if I have to do a billing denial and I'm like, oh God, now I have to submit all this stuff, but it gets done progressively every year. I, and I was doing all the hiring myself. So at this point, again, I'm still doing all the payroll. The the you know I'm seeing clients. I'm doing payroll. I'm doing marketing. I'm do which always was kind of like I'm at a daycare and Susie's mom saw me and she's like, hey, what do you do here? And, oh, I'm actually a you know contractor that comes into the daycare. Wow, well Susie doesn't say her R's. Could you so and, and people would learn about me through the community uh, and because I spoke Russian. I could post on Facebook. I went on Russian radio a couple of times. So in that regard, I was able to call a lot of attention to myself and the company, but it was very small things. At that point, I had never spent money on marketing supplies like pens and it was very small. I was trying. I had pamphlets and maybe like 
mug holder thing, you know, something simple that didn't cost me too much at the beginning. But all of the hats. Yeah, I wore all of I yeah, at that point for for a long time, like for two and a half years of the business, I did everything, including seeing clients, going to IEPs, doing every literally. And some days I'm just like, oh my God, this is so exhausting because thank God I have a good memory, but these lists, these to-do lists, and every Monday I would start with a to-do list. But you know, when you and your business, you work every day. And I would love crossing everything out, but there was always so much to do. And finally, when I had gotten the office, my first location, I built up the courage and I'm like, that's it. I can do this. And one of my really good friends told me in order to make more money, you need to spend some money. You need to invest in your business. Stop being scared. Go get an office, even if it's one room. Well, what, well, what am I going to hire somebody? What are they going to do there? You will find something for them to do. Those were her words. And I remember them today. And I'm like, thank you for saying that to me. Thank you for giving me that kick because I, and I, I was, I was going there, but I needed someone to be like, do it, do it now. Stop waiting. Because I was, I was burnt out. I was literally like gasping for air. I was drowning in, in work because I wanted to grow and people were calling and I wasn't getting back to people and I didn't want to lose the business. At one point I had my mom returning phone calls at the office because I was alone and I couldn't manage. At that point, we did not accept insurance. But there were families who were not interested in the waiver or government programs coming to me and saying, hey, I'll pay you cash. Can I bring my son or daughter? And I would be like, okay. And I had to quickly come up with like an assessment thing and my own paperwork documentation with my logo. And I did it all really quickly because I kind of had seen it before, but I didn't have a formal situation in place for it yet. But once it started happening, there was one person, then there were three people and there were 10. And I'm like, I can have a private practice this is going to happen. There's going to be a second level of this business. And I was like, here we go. Like the second level is coming. Cause that at this point I had this one stream with the County and then now I'm like, okay, I can do more. So I, I had this one office and I had hired an assistant to help me to organize my files. And that filing cabinet looked so, it had never looked so good. I was so proud. And then I'm like, all right, it's already good. And then I, you know, I bought computers for this office. I had two administrative desks in the first place. It was just a two room space in a plaza. The first was like an entrance with the two administrative desks. The idea was one person will be like a payroll person and one person will be the greeter and the check-in, check-out and administrative. I was like, that's enough, you know? And then the next room, I had a glass square desk. Half of it was devoted to that, a couch where parents could sit and watch. And then like the rest of the room was this play space. And every time these kids were running, I'm like, do not hit my desk. Do not run into my desk. Oh my God, I'm going to get sued. And, and eventually I was like, when we needed more help, because I just, I just knew that I needed more help in the business. So I was like, we need to move. And I started to look for locations and I asked in my plaza, cause I was like, they, they have, um, seven buildings in like one big complex. I was at the time I'm building 500. And they were like, I'm so sorry, we have nothing. And then I found like kind of like a small standalone place on a prime street across the street from a big school that I was going to. And I wanted that place so bad. But my husband is a real estate background, went in there and he's like, this isn't the place for you. And then I started to see why it wasn't. He pointed it out to me. And then the following week, my landlord called and said, I have something really good available. I'm building 300. Do you want to look at it? I'm like, you're kidding me. Like a day ago, I just talked to you. She's like, it's crazy, but I have it. So I went in and it was exactly what I needed. It was at the end of the hallway. We have the whole end back of the hallway of this 
and it was like a better building. It was a big, huge room. And then across the hall was an, another small room, which would be my administrative suite, which is where they are now. And across, I divided that room into two. So it had two entrances, two doors for some reason, but it was one big room. So I made enough room so that the other door opened into my personal office and two one-on-one rooms. And the other large space is the playroom, which is where we hold therapy now. So I ended up getting a hallway with three rooms and it didn't have to move far. Everyone still knows where I am. And it was meant to be, right? Like it was meant to be. must have just canceled their lease or just- or It was whatever. crazy how it all worked out, but it worked out. And I was like, okay. And now I can fit. Well, so now I- flash forward, I was able to hire a lot more people to help me in the office because we're accepting insurance and we have a lot of different needs now. But from two administrative people to sharing my desk with the playroom to having my own office with two private rooms, plus the playroom, plus, and it had been space for six people. I mean, it's, it's good. It's better. It sounds great. I mean, it sounds like you've really grown like a ton over the last five years in terms of how many people you have working for you, how many hats you've now delegated to other people so that you're not quite as burned out and exhausted. Although I know that you also have, have two kids now. So, and I also have two kids, so that comes with its own <laughs> level of fatigue, but, and, and you have all of these different services that you're offering too, which is absolutely incredible. So what are some of the major lessons that you've learned throughout this whole thing to share with the listeners of people who, who want to grow big in their first five years? I think that you can't expect to grow as much if you're going to be the one to do everything. It took a lot of a mental work for me to kind of delegate and be able to be like, this is my baby, but I have to let go of some things because Obviously, in my mind, well, who's going to do it like me? That's such the wrong mentality. You need to go into it thinking, yes, I am wonderful at what I do. I know my business, but it will only grow bigger and better if I can create a proper team, a foundation like a house to help me and be my right and left hand in order for it to continue to grow. That is the number one thing. And you will, and you will go through people it'll be the wrong hire. You thought it was great when you met them and then it's not working out and that's okay. And because of how I want to say emotional I am or connected to people, I initially, it took me a while to understand that I would get upset. Like, why didn't it work out? I have to teach them again, but that's the beauty. That really means you're in business. When this is happening to you, you are in business (laughs) because this is the nature of business. And you have to, you have to be strong in that regard because change will happen. But Without that change, you can't really grow and you need to be open to new ideas, understanding. And now when people come to work with me, I take the experiences that they've had, plus the items I'm teaching them. And I say, Hey, if you think that there's a better way to do X, Y, Z, I'll be so happy to hear it from you. And if you want to teach it to somebody else, I'll be duly as happy. And I think that that's what makes it really grow. Of course, you're the driver, but if your vehicle's wheels are falling off, you're not getting far. You need to be going to the mechanic so that your vehicle can run smoothly, (laughs) which means meetings and just keeping everything in order. And for me, it's again, just my personality. And I try to find people that are like me in terms of hiring them for my business, but I don't want to babysit anybody. I don't want to sit and delegate tasks all day and check in. I'm not always in the office. I need to trust you. 
and you need to find people you can trust. And when I'm in therapy, I need to make sure everything's handled. People are being spoken to politely and I need to make sure that things are accounted for because my staff is always shocked that something I knew was due a week ago or whatever. And I come back and I ask each person about their task and they're looking at me like a deer in headlights. Cause they're like, how do you remember all this? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> but I do. So it's was it done? Hour. Was it done? <laughs> no. And that's the best part. I mean, I'm friendly with my staff, but they know they are there to do a job. There's a level of expectation that which you have to have. You can't just hire random people. You need to know what you're doing in that term, but don't ever feel discouraged if you don't know exactly what you're doing at that time. Like I got those contracts. I wasn't exactly sure what I'm doing or when I started to go apply to work with various insurances, I had no idea what I was in store for, but I figured it out and you have to be open-minded to figuring it out. You're only going to get to the top of the building if you climb the ladder and you need to be able to take every step because if you don't, you're not going to get there and it's okay to sit flat for a little bit. But as long as you're making progressive steps to get to the next place or the place where you feel comfortable, that's what's the most important in creating success for yourself, I feel. And don't be afraid. Don't, if someone's going to say no, fine. Don't be afraid. Keep trying. Yeah. Always keep trying. Well, what you were saying about your employees, there's a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. I don't know if you've read it or not, but in the book, he talks about in terms of hiring, making sure that you have the right people in the right seats. So the first thing that you have to determine is like, well, what roles do you need in your business, right? So like, do you need someone to do the insurance billing? Do you, are you going to do that for yourself for a while? You know, do you want to hire people from other disciplines? How many people can, can you have from other disciplines, right? So first kind of defining those roles and then through the hiring process, making sure that you're getting the right people in those roles who exemplify your company's core values and who work well with you and who work well with the population. So if anyone who's listening who either has an established private practice or wants to have one, I really recommend the book Traction as a way to start to think about systematizing your business and making things go smoothly. So what is the plan? And and as we're recording this, we're kind of at the beginning of this coronavirus thing. So things are a little bit in flux right now. (laughs) But in theory, what are you thinking about in terms of the future for your private practice? So I would love, love to have multiple locations. Obviously, right now I'm in my one space. And a lot of the time I'm like, am I nuts? Like what other location? You know, it's hard to manage the one, you know, but I think that again, you can't be afraid. And these fears are more like a challenge to me now. And I'm like, no, we can do it. I can do it. And I know that there's a need in some lower social economic areas near me where families cannot get to me because I don't have buses running right to my location. And people will call me. I recently invested in billboards. So I have two billboards in the great Northeast near my location, about 30, 35 minutes out where it's still convenient for them to come to us. And they're in like, Russian areas, but it's not targeted to Russian people at all. It's to everyone. And we have a lot of need in different areas. And I think that even if people were able to bring like in those areas, a lot of the time, I feel like there's a lack of consistency. So the families might get their child evaluated, but then they won't come back. I mean, I have people come to me from different States sometimes because they can't get someone and they're about 45, 40 minutes out. So they don't mind. They'll come for as long as they need, but when they can, that's the key here. And some people cannot. So then I'm like, okay, do I get a location? Do I get some kind of mobile location where I can drive it? I don't know. I have ideas. 
they obviously involve money investing, but that's okay. So that's the future goals. I would like to have more locations. I would like a standalone building because right now I'm renting from someone and I'd love to eventually have standalone where I can build like a better play area for the kids and have some more interesting things. We have a pretty cool space, but there's always better room for, room for improvement. And I feel like it would be nice to have it all kind of in one place, the offices and the rooms for therapy or social interaction, or even different kind of enrichment programming literacy so that you have that space to do it well, as well as having this play area. Cause it's hard to, and you know, I don't want to have all these different rooms, you know, it's nice to have one big place. So that would be cool. And maybe, I don't know, see where else I could do that in other areas near me. So definitely another location. And in the interim of this whole virus, I want to throw positivity on this virus. It is a terrible time in the world. Things are in uproar. Nobody understands what's going on. Literally at this point, it's like, what's even happening? But I think that it gave us an opportunity. It gave us an opportunity for telepractice. And this was something that companies had reached out to me personally prior and offered me to work with them for telepractice. But I just couldn't. I was very interested. I went through some trainings for it, but I never did it because I felt that my time was more valuable at that point in my business and taking my clients face-to-face. However, my family recently got a condo in Florida and I was like, oh, well, what if I go to Florida and I want to do therapy or, and before somebody else was offering me something in California, I think they had something. And I know it's, you just got to get the license there, but this really opened my eyes because I'm like, wow, we have never touched the school districts yet. We have never touched older education for teletherapy. We have never touched the adults. People aren't seeing each other, but we're still capable of providing the therapy to the kids. And I found that I'm almost selling it to families because they don't really understand. But I'm like, your child is not going to have face-to-face time for almost three months. Everything we've worked on is going to go down the drain. Not everything, but it's a big regression. And I've been able to showcase that importance to them. And it just brought this light bulb to me. And I'm like, we can continue to do teletherapy. This is another stream of business now. This is amazing. (laughs) So whether we will put policies and procedure in place for teletherapy, I'm still thinking. I had to transition in a two-day period, my whole company. I have 50 contractors now into teletherapy. And God bless my team for all their support and being able to put it all together with me. But it was quick. It was all really quick. And it was expected because if we're not, we are now given permission in Pennsylvania to do it. So if we're not offering it to people, that's not good either. So we had to offer it to everybody. If they denied it, that's one thing. I definitely think that telepractice is maybe something in addition to us. So locations and telepractice, here we go. (laughs) Well, I think that that's, that's really great too. Like I also saw this as obviously a big challenge (laughs) to overcome, but also opportunity. I mean, people have been doing telepractice for years, but but only a small number of people. I kept hearing, you know, that it was great. The clients loved it. You don't have to travel. You don't lose that time. It's convenient, especially parents like it because it's one less thing to do after school, blah, blah, blah. But then when our whole profession had to transition to telepractice practically overnight, it really freaked out a lot of people. So some people were able to make that transition and run with it. And other people were just kind of terrified and and stopped in their tracks. But I love that you use this as an opportunity as something. I'm sure that as soon as you can go back to in-person therapy, you obviously will. But how great that this does open up another stream of income for your company 
and that you can now think about different states or different school systems or other things like that. So kudos to you for seeing this as not something that's going to just like paralyze your business, but perhaps enhance it over time. Absolutely. And I think for anyone out there, that's just another thing. Like you just reminded me when you said that virtually overnight, we had to switch. You're right. But when you're an entrepreneur and you're an owner of your business, of your practice, you need to just go with the flow sometimes. I didn't start to panic. Obviously, initially we were completely closed down for like two weeks and it was not cool. It was upsetting. And I wasn't sure if my staff should be in there or not, but they had to be checking on things. And some people took their computer home, which is fine. But we were all able to kind of work together and then bring it over to that. And if I was sitting there in a panic, freaking out, what's going to happen? How are we going to do this? So I was like, we are going to get Zoom, whatever platform people want to use. Honestly, I don't care, but Zoom, I love Zoom. Shout out to Zoom. I'm like, we are compiling a list of resources for them. We did a Google Drive. We sent it to all my people. We provided a training to everybody if they didn't know what to do. And it was just like, wham, bam, bam. There wasn't a hesitating moment where I was like, what's going to happen? I just, I took it and we did it. And that was it because what choice did we have? And I didn't want to lose everything over this, obviously. And it was nerve wracking because I know that there's children relying on us and families relying on us and a lot of people relying on the the financials to make the money. So if you want to have a successful private practice, you need to go with the punches. You need to have confidence. And it's not always going to be the sunny day, but when it is, it's the best. Yeah. This also reminded me of one of the people who's in the Grow Your Private Practice program. She had has multiple locations and one of one there was a fire in one of her locations. And she had fire insurance, although I think it didn't really cover everything. But nonetheless, that's kind of another situation where overnight, like things changed and then sort of similar to the situation that you said, well, all of a sudden a piece of real estate like opened up and it came, she was able to basically over the weekend move into a new location after being completely devastated by this. So, so there are times where we are thrown into situations that we don't really know how to navigate, but we know that they have to be navigated for ourselves and for our clients and for our company. That's what leadership is all about. So also kudos to you for being a leader and for taking that fear and channeling it in a positive way to to keep your business not only alive, but hopefully you'll be able to thrive during this whole thing, even if it's not what you expected to be doing this year. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So where can people find out more about you? So we have a direct website, which is www.kidologyinc.com. That's K-I-D-O-L-O-G-Y-I-N-C.com. And we do also have a YouTube page that we're working on to enrich the lives of other people from this just like teletherapy. If you search us in the search tab on YouTube, you can just look up Kidology Inc. and you'll see us there. And also we do have a Facebook page. It's just uh, facebook.com slash Kidology Inc. And if anybody wants to reach out to me personally and you have any questions for me, I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, you can reach me at luba, L-U-B-A, at kidologyinc.com. And that is my direct email. I love it. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this interview, even in your clothes. And, um, <laughs> for just being such a wonderful example 
of someone who's had to massively pivot their private practice. You're clearly a very driven woman who started from this like early trouble getting that initial license and whatnot from your county, but you were, you were clearly destined to do this and have figured out not only how to do it, but how to do it well and how to keep doing it, even in the time of coronavirus and beyond. So thank you so much for being on the show. And I just really appreciate you sharing your journey with the listeners. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I want to teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com. Click start or grow and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.